Good morning, all, and welcome to the Morning Cup here at the Conservation Project. This is going to be a new 15-minute morning series that comes out every morning that's designed to give you three topics that you need to know that are trending or breaking news the morning of. The whole purpose is that it's designed around your morning cup of coffee. It's going to take no longer than that. It's while you're getting ready, drinking your cup of coffee, and gets you ready to go into work, wherever you may be going, to be educated and understand what's going on today. You don't have to pick a side or worry about any sort of bias or anything like that. This is only going to be bringing you the news that you need to know solely for the sake of getting you ready for the water cooler conversations. So with that being said, sit back, enjoy your cup of coffee, and let's get you ready for the water cooler. So starting out this morning, we have breaking news that Russia is buying quote-unquote millions of rockets and artillery from North Korea for its Ukraine invasion. A U.S. official told ABC News that Russia's Ministry of Defense was quote in the process of buying millions of rockets and artillery shells from the so-called Hermit Kingdom and that the purchases were an indication Moscow's military continues to suffer from severe supply shortages in Ukraine due in part to the export controls and sanctions. The official added that the intelligence community assessed it would likely become part of a pattern with Russia seeking to quote purchase additional North Korean military equipment going forward. Neither country has yet responded to this report. The Biden administration touted the development, first reported by the New York Times, as evidence that international sanctions, despite what experts have called some adverse ripple effects in the U.S., were proving successful even as the White House resisted Kiev's call to impose additional penalties against Russia by branding it a state sponsor of terrorism. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said Tuesday, our sanctions, export controls, and efforts to further isolate Russia from the global economy are having a significant impact. We are choking off Russia's military supply chains. While North Korea wouldn't be providing Moscow with the most cutting-edge military technology, its Soviet-era stockpiles could fill a pressing niche by restocking Russian forces with artillery shells compatible with its weapon systems developed during the same time frame. Ammunition it's struggling to supply. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder said Tuesday, The fact that they're reaching out to North Korea is a sign that they're having some challenges on the sustainment front. Ryder added that the intelligence on the weapons cell was declassified so the international community and the American public could better understand the situation that Russia finds itself as they again continue to wage their campaign in Ukraine. Weapons from North Korea and Iran might not significantly move the needle in Ukraine, but U.S. officials are watching carefully to see if a much more significant power comes to Russia's aid, China. Beijing and Moscow retain close trade and defense ties, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine sparked concern that the two could form a military alliance. The U.S. has warned of intense consequences for China should it sell Moscow's military supplies, but so far, there's no evidence that it has violated export controls. Pentagon spokesman Ryder said, In terms of what Russia may be asking of China or not, I don't have any information to provide from the podium on that, other than to say that in an era of strategic competition, we'll continue to keep a very close eye on Russia and China. The body of Eliza Fletcher, a teacher and mother of two who was abducted while on an early morning run in her hometown of Memphis, has been found. Fletcher's remains were found on Monday afternoon in a South Memphis residential neighborhood several miles from where she was abducted. 
The 34-year-old was last seen jogging near the University of Memphis campus on Friday morning around 4.20 a.m. local time. She was approached by a man and forced into a dark-colored GMC terrain, which then took off, according to the Memphis Police Department. Fletcher's husband, Richard Fletcher, reported her missing about three hours later, telling investigators that she never returned home from her regular 4 a.m. run, according to an affidavit of the complaint made public Sunday by the Shelby County Sheriff's Office. The suspect in Fletcher's kidnapping, Cleotha Abston, is scheduled to return to court today, Wednesday, September 7th, to be arraigned on additional charges of first-degree murder, premeditated murder, and first-degree perpetration of kidnapping. He is currently being held at the Shelby County Jail in Memphis on a $500,000 bail. Some evidence in the case, according to the public affidavit, is as follows. Someone found Fletcher's phone in the street on Central Avenue that morning, and it was given to one of Fletcher's relatives, who gave it to the investigators. Police then found surveillance video of the area, which shows a black GMC terrain pass by her. A man is seen in the footage getting out of the SUV and quote-unquote aggressively running toward her before forcing her into the vehicle's passenger seat. The SUV remained in a parking lot for about four minutes after both people were inside and then drove away. Police also analyzed a pair of sandals that were found at the abduction site near the victim's phone. DNA found on the shoes matched DNA for Abstin. Surveillance footage captured from a local theater the day before Fletcher's disappearance showed Abstin wearing what authorities believe are the same pair of champion slide sandals found at the crime scene. Researching Abstin's residence, police found that he lived at home whose utilities were registered in the name of a woman who owned a GMC terrain. Investigators then interviewed Abstin's employer, who said he drove a GMC terrain and verified his phone number. Investigators checked Abstin's cell phone records, which showed he was near the abduction scene during the time of Fletcher's kidnapping. Members of a U.S. Marshals Task Force found a GMC terrain near Abstin's residence on Saturday morning, and it had the same distinguishable damage and partial license plate information seen in the surveillance footage from Fletcher's abduction. The task force saw him standing in the doorway of the home and detained him Saturday. Police also gathered details from witnesses who said they encountered Abstin after the abduction. One witness said she saw Abstin at his brother's Memphis home after the kidnapping. The witness and Abstin's brother said Abstin was behaving oddly after he cleaned the interior of his SUV and washed his clothes in the sink. On Monday, searchers acting on the information from an FBI team that analyzes cell phone data found Fletcher's body just after 5 p.m. The searchers using the cell phone data had focused on an area near an intersection less than a mile from the brothers' home. The team smelled an odor of decay coming from an area near a vacant home and saw vehicle tracks in the grass near the driveway and eventually found a body on the property. The affidavit states, The scene investigation revealed that a female fit the description of the missing person, Eliza Fletcher. That property was in the 1600 block of Victor Street. That's about a half-mile drive from the address that the authorities gave from his brother's home and a 7.5-mile drive from the alleged abduction site and about a 15.5-mile drive from Abstin's home. A little more than an hour after the body was found and about three-tenths of a mile away, a detective found a trash bag with running shorts consistent with the one Fletcher was wearing when she was abducted. From all of us here at TCP, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Fletcher family. Firefighting crews are still struggling to contain the Fairview fire in Hemet, California that began this Monday that has stretched to 5,000 acres as of this morning. 
the containment remains at just 5%. Officials say that this fire has the potential to burn 7,000 acres and has already claimed the lives of several people. Two people who tried to escape the fire on Monday were found dead inside their vehicle, according to the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. The identities of those individuals cannot be released at this time because they cannot be positively identified based upon the condition in which they were found. A third victim, described only as an adult female, was found outside the vehicle with severe burns. She was transported to a hospital and is expected to survive. Officials believe that all three victims were related. At least seven structures have already been destroyed by the fire, but that total is expected to rise. Mandatory evacuations remain in place for approximately 3,400 homes in the areas south of Stetson Avenue, north of Cactus Valley Road, west of Baltista Canyon, and east of State Street. Residents in many homes near the fire have been asked to boil water over concerns that it may be unsafe to drink, and officials plan to retest the water today. An evacuation center has been established at Tokwitz High School located at Titan Trail in Hemet, California. The cause of the fire currently remains under investigation. Southern California Edison reported circuit activity at about the time the first flames were spotted, but it's still unclear if the utility's equipment played a role in sparking this fire. Josh Jansen, the incident commander, said during a 6 a.m. press conference today, Open fire on all sides of the fire is still threatening several communities. He said the fire, which has killed two people and destroyed structures, is expected to grow, as mentioned, to 7,000 acres. However, the fire grew from 2,400 acres on Tuesday morning to 4,500 acres by that afternoon and is currently burning in all directions on all flanks. He continues to say, unfortunately, the fire continued to outpace our efforts. We took an operational flight of the fire at about 2 p.m. yesterday, and it was clear that the fire is outpacing our ground and air resources. He explained that firefighters have worked to establish control lines. However, during the day, the fire spotted across those lines. Spotting occurs when sparks or embers are carried by the wind to start new fires outside the area of the main fire. Jansen went on to say that even our line that we constructed in multiple areas of the fire was not holding due to the weather conditions, the drought-stricken fuels, and the fire spotting outside those lines. Sheriff Sergeant Brandy Swan is concerned that there is not enough people evacuating. They have gone to 3,700 people's homes to make notification, and she said that about a quarter of those people are actually leaving. She says that many people have decided to shelter in place, but the fire is so unpredictable and moves so fast that this could become a bigger issue for many people. On Tuesday, the decision was made to establish a unified command for the fire that will allow increased cooperation between the Riverside County Fire Department and the U.S. Forest Service and the Hemet Fire Department. Jansen said the decision to go into unified command was made because the fire is rapidly progressing toward federal land and there is a need to, quote, collectively make decisions. A national type 1 incident management team, which is assigned to manage large-scale complex fires nationwide, has also been activated. Well, from everyone here involved at the Conservation Project, my name is Logan, and I hope that you enjoyed this first episode of The Morning Cup. Like I said earlier, this is going to be something that happens every single morning, and it's just designed to get you ready for the day. 
every Wednesday you're going to hear a full Conservation Project episode. It's going to be like you've heard in the past. And then on Friday, we're bringing Freedom Fridays back. But apart from all of that, you have this every morning. So no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you can still get the news that you need to know to start your day and to get you ready for the conversations with your peers. That's going to be the most important aspect of this, and we hope that you enjoy this for time to come because we believe that this kind of thing in the political podcast realm is going to be what unites people on both sides of the aisle to come together, figure out the news, and move forward together in unity. So if you did enjoy this, please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe and all that good stuff, and make sure to leave a five-star review on whatever podcast form that you're listening on and if you want to find out more, make sure you go to theconservationproject.org and you can find out so much more. We hope you have a great day.